When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christianity has always been a really strange religion. On the one hand, it is the inheritance of Judaism in the Old Testament and from the first century. Uh, And I think the best way to understand the relationship between today's Judaism and today's Christianity, at least for me, and there's lots of different kinds of Jewish people and lots of different kinds of Christian people and Christian groups and Jewish groups that are both religious and part of a culture. Um, But to see them diverging at the same place, from the same place in the first century, Uh, going different ways, mainly on the question of Jesus being the Messiah and other concerns that first century Jews had at that time that Christians did not have. And the two communities of religion went different directions, although they often lived in the same areas and interacted and, and not always in ways that were beneficial to both groups. Obviously, there is a long history of persecution against Jewish people by Christians, Christian governments, and other groups. And so we can't uh, minimize that as Christians became a much bigger group than than Jewish people. There in the first century, we read about it in the book of Acts, um, both groups are, one, there's, there's, there are more Jewish people than there are Christian people in those early accounts. Um, but as that shifts in history, the the power dynamic shifts and Christians have a lot more power. And so um, when we read the rest of the history of the world, we see these Christians with power using it against Jewish people to try to coerce them into becoming Christian or um, even uh, trying to exterminate them in genocides like the Holocaust and many others. Anyway, that aside... Uh, Christianity is a strange religion. It comes out of this uh, religion of Judaism, of which we still claim the Old Testament. The Old Testament is our book. Um, 
it is a different book in some ways than the Hebrew Bible that Jewish people will study today. What they are doing is not our business or our concern. Um, just like every other religion, uh, you kind of have to understand it from the inside. And so for Christians, though, the Old and New Testament is the scripture that we read and use authoritatively for life and doctrine. And that is um, that contains this these several threads of, of being, I don't know how else to say it, that make Christianity really weird. One of those threads is stability, that the Old Testament faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we see played out in the lives of the patriarchs and then their descendants, the tribes of Israel and communities of Israel, and all the way up to the Babylonian captivity and the prophetic tradition, this stability of a good kingdom with a good king and people caring and sharing and working together and having abundance and the stability um, that can even be seen as a prosperity gospel in some ways that the, the more you keep the covenant, the more, the more stuff you'll have and the more abundance you'll have to share and enjoy. And that's a really good thing. And then the other part of Christianity is, so that's in Christianity too, the stability. And then there's this other part of Christianity that's really weird. And that is that it is technically a personality cult. Um, as Deramade McCullough describes in his 3,000 Years of Christianity book that's really thick and is really good, that we are following a person named Jesus of Nazareth and that we are following him even as he is still alive. He is resurrected and now we follow him as the resurrected Christ who dwells in us in the Holy Spirit but is very much alive and was alive in the first century. And we have the accounts of people following him, four accounts in the Gospels of people following Jesus, literally following him around. And now we are doing the same. So there's that part of Christianity that has to do with um, living the way he lived, which was a life of poverty, a life of love, a life of healing, a life of miracles, and, uh, and a life of calling people to something much deeper than the shallow existence that happens around us in the world today. And then there's this other part of Christianity that's even weirder, and that's the part that we encounter here in Mark's gospel, and that is the instability of Christianity or the suffering of Christianity. I don't know how to describe it, really. Um, I don't have three points in a poem in this sermon, but I do have this sense that the real message of Christianity, it's not that those other messages aren't real. I think God does want us to live stable, loving, happy lives in community with one another. Um, And that's definitely there in Scripture. The other part is that we are following a person um, and learning how to live, as Jesus taught us, a life of love. But then there's this other part, and this is the part um, of suffering. It is the part of losing everything. And that is also in Christianity. And this is where Christianity will never be accepted by most of the uh, 
elites of the world uh, because it has this, this destructive message in it almost. It feels destructive. And if you're trying to build an empire, this kind of language will always cut against that grain and make it difficult. And so uh, that's not to say that the elites of the world, I mean the leaders of the world and those that are in power, don't embrace Christianity. But they tend to embrace the other first two parts of Christianity, the um, stability and the teaching of Jesus. But here, this third part, um, which is still following Jesus, we are still following Jesus in this third part of suffering. Um, This is where uh, Christianity takes a turn. And you'll only experience this if you've suffered, if you've been on the other side of stability and you have experienced these kinds of rejections. Jesus says it himself that he will undergo this great suffering. And the suffering that he will undergo primarily will be rejection. He does mention being killed, but he'll be rejected. Have you ever been rejected? Um, It is really, really hard to be rejected. The only way to get over rejection generally is to somehow convince yourself that you didn't want to be in the club anyway, or you didn't want to be in that relationship anyway, and it wouldn't be good for you. That's that's the only way to deal with rejection for most of us, is to somehow say, I didn't want to do that either, or, or originally, or I shouldn't have wanted to do that, and now I don't anymore. Because rejection hurts really badly. We are communal creatures. We are created by God for connection and love and mutual sharing of life. And when we have that rejection, it really does a number to our nervous system, to our hearts, to our souls. And it takes a really long time to recover from rejection. And that is the first kind of suffering that Jesus says he will experience. And it is rejection by the religious authorities of his time the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Here we have encapsulated the whole of the community of Jesus. The elders, um, those that make decisions on behalf of the community, those respected people in the community. The chief priests, those that administer the sacramental system of the religion of Israel. Those who work in the temple of God, where God's presence dwells. um, They will reject him too. And then the scribes, those who are concerned with the law, keeping the law and keeping the literary tradition of Judaism going, they will reject him too. And this rejection is threefold and it hurts really badly. And then he will be killed. And this was the part that I think really shocked the original disciples that he would be killed. Because as far as we know from the New Testament, and I don't know if there's other sources for this, but the client uh, state of, of Galilee and Judea that um, Jesus grew up in, administered by Herod the Great and then Herod's sons as it was divided up after his death, um, didn't really hold the power of life and death over most people. They had to refer capital cases to the Romans and then people would be executed that way. Um, that seems to be how the judicial system was working in the time of Jesus. And that's why Pilate is just as much a character in the story as the the Sanhedrin, who where Jesus is actually having a 
what might be considered some kind of trial there on uh, before Good Friday. And so the fact that, that um, this idea of being killed is that suddenly the, the Roman authorities are involved in this and that this is not simply a religious difference or opinion difference of rejection. This will be his own people seeing him as being so dangerous, so traitorous, so so awful for the life of their faith and world that he must be killed by the Romans. And so this, this is what they are, re- are reacting to. Um, and of course, he says, in three days, I'll rise again. What does that mean? He's saying this openly. This is why Jesus' death is not a suicide. Um, even though it might be couched that way by some, that he chooses this, he goes towards this, he tells everybody he's going to do it. Um, Jesus' death is not a suicide and that um, he is not taking his own life. But on the other hand, it is not just a bad thing that happens along the way. This is something that he is setting out to enact and do. Um, and that in that both passive and active um, journey, we see the heart of Jesus' love for us. His disciples do not see that, and they react. They rebuke him. They tell him, don't say that. Stop saying that. I don't know what they tell him. But Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, and the disciples, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then he he starts to thin out the followers. He gathers a big crowd with him. If you want to be my followers, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. What profit is if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What can you give in return for your soul? This, these words of Jesus echo down the 2,000 years, and they address the kind of Christianity that we experience when we lose nearly everything the kind of Christianity that will save us in the hard times, the kind of Christianity that is truly, truly following Jesus all the way to the end. Because what he is saying here is that the real freedom of life is when you give it away. That is where the real freedom of a human life comes from. It is not in power. It is not in control It is not in wealth. It is not in having everything you could ever want or desire. It is not having control over other people. It is none of these things that our world seems to tell us will make us happy and make us successful and make us finally content. No, Jesus calls us to the kind of life that he lived where you lose everything. You become a loser for Jesus. Um, and this, is, this has to be contrasted from a lot of other messages of giving up. This is not giving up at all. This is not um, just throwing it all away, um, abandoning all hope. Um, what Jesus is talking about is what he is actually doing. He is not running away. He is not going back to the wilderness. He is not going back to the Jordan River. Um, he is not going to Tyre or Sidon or anywhere else. He is going to the most difficult place on earth for him at this time, 
which is the city of Jerusalem. So this is not an infinite resignation or something. This is not quitting or even quiet quitting. This is ultimately a bold marching towards one's own truth and destiny, knowing what you must do and knowing what it will cost you and going and doing it every single day. This is really, really difficult, but this is what Jesus calls us to do. And he says, if you do this, you'll have the best life you could ever imagine. And I know this is true. I know in my heart this is true. I know the times of my life where I've felt the most happy and the most love are in times when I was giving it all away, in times when I was really doing what Jesus, or at least trying to do a little bit of what Jesus has called us to do to not save my life, to not hold back, to not try to save a little bit for later, but really laying it all on the line. And that is when I have found the most fulfillment and most happiness in life. And, I, and there's more of that to have. That's the beauty of following Jesus. There's always more to give away. Joy Marie Clarkson's book, Aggressively Happy is a book that our church read uh, last year. year I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Years get confusing uh, for Lent. And her name is Joy, so this book kind of plays on the theme of when your name is Joy, people kind of expect you to know something about happiness. So she explores happiness. What is that? And how do we get it um, in life? And her last chapter uh, talks about this, this, uh, the ruins of this cathedral in the town that she lives in in Scotland. And there's this big cathedral that the ruins of it overshadow the town. You can see it from every home in the city just about. And it's the ruins. It was destroyed in the Reformation 500 years ago, and it's never been rebuilt. And the ruins stand there. And she says that that could be seen as sort of a failure. That could be seen as like the end of something. And certainly there's case to be made for that. Um, And yet, she said, after she lived there a while, she realized, and someone told her, that all of the stones in the houses that they lived in were from that cathedral, that people, you know, very boldly went up there and took the stones and built the houses that people lived in from the cathedral. And so the cathedral had a new life among the homes of the people of the city. Um, so far from being diminished as a cathedral, far from being diminished as a building, this building gave it all away. And that is ultimately the true secret to this kind of happiness that Jesus offers his followers, to give it all away, to give your life away, to voluntarily serve the world, And this has to be a real choice. It has to be a real choice. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be put upon. It cannot be expected of you. It cannot be any of these things. It has to really be you. And that's a whole nother subject. How do you get to know yourself enough to know if you're really making a decision for you? That's a whole nother subject. But this has to be you. And when it really is you, it is infinitely worth it you actually can save your life by losing it. Jesus did it. 
and he rises from the dead, and you will too. Amen. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen.